Thank you very much, team. Um, can we give these guys a big clap for being out here singing today? We'll hear more from them um, in a little while. Now, um, that last song said, let us go into the house of the Lord. And you might think that sounds a bit really kind of old school or you might kind of associate the term house of the Lord with a church building. Um, but actually what we see throughout scripture, even when they had buildings, throughout the history of the Bible, we see that the most important focal point was actually the people of God and not just the building. So for us as a local church here, um, we have church in a building that doesn't look like a typical church building. It looks more like a community center, which kind of suits us fine because actually nowadays, the style and shape of the building isn't really so important. Um, we appreciate the ornate and great buildings that have lasted centuries and generations. Um, a lot of people gave a lot of effort to build them because their desire was to build something that really represented God well and really showed their devotion and commitment to God. And so that's why we see a lot of these old buildings that we would associate with being churches. Sometimes you pass some of them today and actually they've got um, build, um, companies in them or they've turned them into flats. And, um, you know, I, I remember when I was growing up, um, certain of my elders looked at, that, looked at that and called it sacrilege, that they would turn the house of the Lord into just human dwelling place where they make flats. And they would really quite um, disgust this by the notion. But like I say, the focus is on the people of God, not just the building that we meet in. And so we're here as a local church. As I mentioned, we're called Ecclesia. And that is an unusual word. It's supposed to be kind of thought-provoking. And that word basically means people of God, God's people. God's people who have been separated by him for him. And um, as a local church, we've been here for a few years. And, um, I, you know, I've met a few people locally and I, I, they ask me what I do and I say that I'm a pastor. And they say, that's a really great job. You only work one day a week. And um, I think that's the kind of common view that people have of people in Christian ministry, that we only work one day a week. And I really wish I see Mark shaking his head like, <laughs> if only that were true. If only it were true that we worked one day a week. The reality is that as a pastor... Um, my, my, my role spans much broader and much wider than just on a Sunday. And as a church, there are a number of things that we're doing um, to really demonstrate the love of God, the love that God has for people. Now, as I mentioned, we're based here at number one. And just to give you an insight to some of the things that we do here, on a Tuesday evening we have what's called barley loaves. And that is a, a food share where people are able to come and get food for free. Come and get groceries and tin goods. And sometimes we've even got toiletries and so on. And we recognize that we live in tough times of austerity. 
where people can um, often be going in, going, going through hardship and suffering in silence. And because of God's goodness towards us and because of his love and the way in which he so generously changed our lives, we have a whole team of people that work each Tuesday to make food freely available. And that's supported by some of our local retailers, um, including Waitrose. And I, and I named them intentionally because they've been a, a key supporter of this work. And basically, we go and we collect food from their depots and we bring it and then we freely make it freely available. And with that in mind, we will have food freely available today. And so if you're in a situation where you could do it something, then feel free as you're out here or if you want to come down from the flats, um, there'll be food. And, you know, the wonderful thing is um, we're quite blessed. We consider ourselves very fortunate because it's not just packet and tin food, but we get so much veg and um, bakery goods and so on. And so it's, it's fresh goods as well as tins and packets. And so um, we, we feel quite encouraged that we're able to help people to um, not only get food freely, but also get good quality food that's going to help with a balanced diet. Um, so that's one of the things that we do as a church here. Um, also, on a Wednesday, we have a toddler's group that is available to the whole community um, for toddlers and their parents and carers. And that's in the morning on a Wednesday um, from 10 to 12. Someone's going to tell me, no, it's not. It's 10.30. Is it 10.30? Little Lambs. And that group is called Little Lambs. Little Lambs. And so that's um, available in the building. And, and we appreciate that often as stay-at-home parents, whether you're a stay-at-home mom or stay-at-home dad, um, you can go through just long periods of not having um, adult communication. And, um, you know, we often hear of people who just feel like they get to the end of the week and they're suffering with baby brain um, because their focus and their attention has been completely and entirely on the little ones. And they haven't really had a lot of opportunity for adult interaction. And so um, not only is it a great place for the, the toddlers to come, and enjoy playtime in a safe environment. But it's also an opportunity for parents and carers to socialize and to um, encourage one another um, through the journey that they're on. So that's on a Wednesday. Um, and yet, throughout the rest of the week over here, we have a, a school. Um, we recently opened TLG Lewisham, which is an independent school where we work with pupils at risk of exclusion. And so often the schools are under real difficult constraints as far as budgets and so on are concerned. And they find it um, a real challenge to work with those pupils who can have um, particular needs that they're stretched at meeting. And so we serve um, local schools where we take referrals and also direct referrals um, where a, a parent or a carer might be looking after a young person and they're struggling in mainstream and need some more personalized and focused support and attention. And so 
they're able to come to us and speak to us. Um, and it's, it's a provision for secondary age pupils, um, 11 to 16, where we kind of help them um, work through some of their barriers to learning and get back on track um, with their educational career. So these are just a, a, a sampling of the things that we're doing here in the community, um, as well as this um, free event that we put on each year. And so we recognize that God has been so good, even for us to be out here today like this, when I looked at the forecast yesterday and it was daggers, literally lightning daggers um, throughout the whole day. Um, God has been so good for us to be able to come out here and actually enjoy this weather, but also enjoy life. Now, why would we, as a community of Christians, a community of believers, do these things? Why would we do these things? Some people say, look, you know what? Things like that, you can just let the government get on with it. Why should we be breaking our backs, straining ourselves to be able to provide facilities within the community that will benefit others. Well, I want to read a verse, and it's from the Bible, and it's towards the back of the Bible in a, in a section that's known as 1 John. And John was an apostle. He was somebody who was an eyewitness of Jesus Christ. He actually walked and talked with Jesus. He was taught by Jesus, and he even saw Jesus be crucified, and then also raised from the dead after three days. And so this verse basically says in 1 John chapter 4, verse 10, In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Now you're thinking, what in the world did he just say? Did he just swear? What was that five-syllable word? Is it five? Yeah, yeah, it is five. Uh, at least I took something out of school. Um, propitiation for our sins. And it is a very difficult word to work with, even for people who are reading the Bible often. People tend to um, underestimate the importance and value of words. Except when we don't really hear the words that we want or need. There was one couple and they were having difficulties in their relationship and they were at loggerheads. And so they were giving each other the silent treatment. And you know, if, if you been in a relationship, you kind of may be familiar with that. Um, I know all you, you guys, you know, I wouldn't even expect that of you. So maybe you're not so familiar with that, but there's those moments when you kind of just, you know, you've kind of had it up to the eyeballs and you just feel like, okay, for, the, for peace sake, I'm just not going to say anything. Because if I say something, it's not going to be good. And so as they intended to give each other the, the silent treatment the, the husband, he had a job interview and he wasn't really very good at waking up to the alarm. And he was always reliant 
on his wife to wake him up. Um, and so he had this interview and he was thinking, what am I going to do? She's not talking to me and I'm not talking to her, but I need her to wake me up. I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll write her a note and ask her to wake me up. And so he wrote her a note and put it by the bedside and asked, asked her to wake him up at, at the right time. And she looked at the note, not whilst he was there, and just walked off. The note was still on the side. So he was uncertain, but he felt, you know what, I, I, I feel confident in, in the character of my partner. And, 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 I, and I'm pretty confident that, you know, she's, she's going to come through for me. She knows how important this is for us, for us. And so he went to bed and in the morning he woke up of his own accord. He wasn't woken up. And then it dawned on him what day it was and he looked at the clock immediately and he had woken up late. And he was absolutely fuming. I can't believe that she would do that to me. I can't believe that she would let me oversleep and, and miss the alarm. And he looked at the note to see if it, was, if it had moved and if she had taken note of it. And she actually had taken note of what was written on the paper. In fact, as he looked at the paper, he realized that it wasn't his handwriting, but the note had been turned over. And on the other side, it said, it's 7 a.m., wake up. And he looked at it and realized the error of his ways. Because rather than making peace and speaking with her and asking her kindly to wake him up, he had um, chosen to maintain the silent treatment. And all that she done was, she done likewise. And so it's not that she didn't respond to the note, but she woke him up in writing. Now that's a mildly amusing tale of the importance of words and just how much they mean to us in life. As we work with young people, we're always trying to help them to appreciate the impact of their words and what their words mean as they exchange words with one another. Because sometimes words are exchanged carelessly, but God never wastes words. The words that we see written in the Bible are written intentionally and with great care and great meaning. And as we come to this word propitiation, um, I want us to help, I want to help us to try and get to grips with it as best as we can so that we can understand what this says to us about God's love. Now, before I do that, I want, I want to set a little challenge. And um, I don't know how well this is going to go. This could flop very terribly. But um, I want to set a challenge for, for the younger people among us. Notice I said younger, because I'm still young myself. So I know you're going to take me as a reference, right? Despite my gray hairs. Um, for the younger people among us, what, what age should I say? Um, let's start with the under 11s. The under 11s. Yeah? Any under 11s out here? All right. Okay. Excellent. Wonderful. Now, I've got a little challenge if you're willing to take it. Um, I think this might be a bit tall for some of you, 
because you're going to be too short to reach it. But for others of you, I think that you actually, um, you could get something out of this. So the challenge is this. I wonder if there are any 11s and under who can spell the word <laughs> propitiation. That don't sound like a fair challenge, does it? Let's see, let's see, let's see. Are there any under 11s who can spell the word propitiation? All the adults are, 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 are really encouraged that I started, <laughs> started from the bottom. Um, okay, I've got one volunteer here. Do you think you can spell it as well? All right, okay. Um, if you'd like to come forward, come forward. You think you, do you think you can spell it as well? Okay. So we got our first ever Family Fun Day spelling bee. I feel like I need some mood music out here. Dun, 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 You're going to try as well? Okay. Now, this, this is for like, like I'm, I'm guessing that you guys are really serious about your spelling. You're good with phonics, and you've been sounding it out. And, I, and I'll sound it out again for you in a moment. Um, we already know that it's five syllables. I'm really impressed that I've actually got any takers for this. Um, and so let's try at this end first. So, what's your name? Rita. Rita. It's good to see you, Rita. Um, or I should say Rita. Um, I always drop my teeth, sorry. Um, and Rita, would you think that you could have an attempt at spelling this word? Um, I'm going to say it again. It's propitiation. You think you might have a go at that? It, it is English, um, just in case you were wondering, because it sounds very strange. Um, all right, so Rita. Um, I'm going to pass the mic to you, and you're going to give us your attempt at spelling the word. It's very difficult, so, you know, um, if you don't get it, it's worth a try, nonetheless. Yeah? All right. Here we go. Don't, don't, don't help Rita, because I'm going to come to you next. All right. Okay. All right. Um, you want me to say it again? You want me to say the word again? No? Oh, okay. Confident. Have a try. Have a try. Propitiation. P. That I can understand why you went in that direction, but no S and no H. So I'm going to salute you, Rita. And um, I wonder if there's something we can definitely give Rita a big round of applause for trying. Don't disappear. Don't disappear because I'm going to get you something for trying in a moment. Um, so what's your name? Tanu. Tanu. Okay, Tanu. Do you think that you can try and spell this word? P-R-O-P-I-S-T-I-O-N. Oh, wow. That was very good. And, as a, again, a very valiant effort. But just to say, it, I know it sounds like it, and it's probably the way that I'm pronouncing it because I don't speak very well. Um, but there's no S in the word. So, Tanu, I'm, I'm going to have to salute you and commend you. Let's give Tanu a big round of applause. I think that we're, we're probably going to find to know that um, there's probably adults that are not going to be able to spell this, actually. All right, keep, all right, keep that thought to yourself at the moment. Don't give any clues away to anyone. Um, let me go. Are you going to try and spell this? Or are you just... Okay, I thought you was up here for fun. All right, then. Um, so just for the benefit of everybody here, what's your name? Kiel. Okay. How old are you, Kiel? Eleven. Um, and what's your name? Lole. And how old are you, Lole? Ten. Okay, I think we should start with Lolly first and then come back to you, to be fair. 
because you've had an extra year of sounding out and all of that, right? Okay, so um, Lolly, come stand over here so everybody can see your lovely face. Um, so would you like to have an attempt at spelling this word? Would you like me to say it again? The word is propitiation. You notice I, I tried to sound it actually more clearly then. Um, propitiation. Yeah, that's, that's your word today. Okay, so. P-R-O-P-R-I-C-I-A-T-I-O-N. Yes, no? All right. Um, it, I, got a, I wasn't quite clear what you said in the middle, but say it again for me. Wait, can you say it? Propitiation. It sounded like a very good attempt, but I just want to be absolutely certain that... P-R-O-P-I-C-I-A-T-I-O-N. Can I say that you only got one letter wrong? That was absolutely amazing. That was a tremendous attempt. Actually, just one letter. One letter. So you definitely get a, um, a, a runners-up prize for that. Um, well, I say runners-up because I don't know if we're going to... Of course, of course, we'll get something for all of you. All right, so, um, Kyo, you've obviously had the benefit of all of these attempts. So if you get this, it might not, be, it might not feel so fulfilling, but that's all right because it's still a very difficult word to spell. Um, so I mentioned that Lolly got one letter wrong. All right, here we go. You want me to say it again? Propitiation. P-R-O-P-I-T-I-A-T-I-O-N. Yes! We have a winner! Please make some more noise for Kiel, please. Oh, you make me feel so good. Okay, um, I hadn't planned as far as prizes, I'm afraid. So we're going to have to work something out. Um, I wonder if I can get some help. Um, Uncle Bertram. Ice cream. Was that, is that, somebody said ice cream, but I don't feel like I should be, I feel like I could be violating some parental um, issues right here if I start offering. I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. All right. Uncle Bertram, we need to find these guys some suitable prizes. Um, there's four of them. Kiel is the winner um, who absolutely, exceptionally spelt this word without hesitation or delay. Absolutely smashed it. So um, let me see. We have Tinu and Rita and Kiel and Lolly. And so um, if you can hook them up, um, and maybe if it requires some kind of parental consent as to what they might be able to have sugar-wise and allergy-wise and so on, um, and then we can ensure that they are celebrated for their... Can we give these ladies a, a wonderful, great big round of applause yet again, please? If you... Um, if you go and speak to Uncle Bertram and he'll sort out something for you. Thank you, Anna. So I feel I feel I feel really happy. 
because I didn't think that. You know, it's that every time they spell it, I'm looking at the Bible to see if it's the same spelling because I, I, I wasn't even sure myself. Propitiation, P-R-O-P-I-T-I-A-T-I-O-N. Now, they say that big words are not something that should scare us. Um, people tend to use big words in order to be able to communicate with fewer words. Big words are like suitcases. They're packed full of meaning. And, you know, if you've traveled anywhere and you've had to pack a suitcase, sometimes you've had trouble kind of getting everything in and getting it to the right weight. Um, in fact, if you've ever had a suitcase go missing, that's when you really appreciate the stuff that you've endeavored to pack into it. And we don't want to miss what's packed into this word. And so, first of all, I want to tell you that this word propitiation is a legal word. It's a legal word. And a lot of people wouldn't associate legalities with Christianity. I mean, God is a God of love, right? And so why are we talking about legalities? And in fact, the scripture says that God loved us in that he sent Jesus Christ to be the propitiation for our sins. And so, why would it be a legal term that we're using? Now, within the Bible, we see the people of God portrayed in lots of different ways. In, in one hand, um, we're portrayed like an army. On the other hand, we're portrayed like a, a family. On another hand, um, the, the people of God are portrayed like a bride to the groom who is Jesus. On, on the other hand, we see as a metaphor that the, the people of God are portrayed like a building, being a temple or a church, the house of God. And so there are lots of different angles that the Bible speaks about God's people. But the most fundamental of them is actually a legal one. Because the Bible makes it clear that God is a judge. And as the one who created us, he will hold us to account for our lives, the lives that he's given us. If somebody entrusted to you something of great value, let's say someone gave you their car keys to a 2018 Mercedes-Benz and they said, I'm going away for a few months and, and here's the keys. You can look after my car, drive it and um, yeah, have a good time. Now, they may not have stressed it, but you and I know that as much as they've encouraged us to drive the car, look after it and have a good time, the thing that matters most to them is that we actually look after that car. Because if we crash that 2018 Mercedes-Benz, just the excess on the insurance alone is going to be a problem for most of us. Let alone the hassle and inconvenience of getting that car fixed. And so, when somebody gives us something, we're supposed to look after it. And when that person comes back from their holiday and they say, hey, how you doing? You have a good time? How's the car running? Actually, what they're meaning 
is, did you look after my car? Were there any problems? You see, because you've always got the headlines and then the subtext, right? God has given us life. And the life that he has given us, he has an expectation that we would exercise this life and live this life in a way that is pleasing to him. And so therefore, there's going to come a point when human existence as we know it will come to an end. As we know it. And God will call everyone who has ever lived to stand before him and to talk about what it is that we've done with the life that he has given us. Now, I know some people would say, well, you know what? I don't really worry about that because I don't believe in God. And so I don't believe that there's any kind of final reckoning or account to be given. Let's keep it moving. You can't scare me with that kind of talk. And this isn't an attempt for me to scare you. Um, the reality is that in life, we all experience situations where we're accountable. Whether it's in the workplace, whether it's in the home, whether it's amongst our friends. There's always accountability. So why wouldn't there be an ultimate accountability? Now, you say there is no God, and I challenge you. I challenge you by saying that actually there is no such thing as an atheist. And you say, well, how can you say that? Because I'm an atheist. I don't believe in God. So that, that makes me an atheist. Well, let's talk about the meaning of words. That's what we're doing out here today. Atheist means atheist or absent of God. And so it's, you're suggesting that you know that there is no God, that God is absent from existence. Do you really know that is my question to you. Can you be sure of that? Can you be certain that there is no God? Unless you can be 100% certain that there is no God, then you cannot say that you're an atheist. Now, in order to be 100% certain, actually, you would have to know everything that can be known about everything in order to be able to have complete confidence that there is no God. You'd have to know that God doesn't exist somewhere under the sands of the Sahara Desert. Or he doesn't exist at the, the, the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean. Or that he doesn't exist in some far-flung universe. These are things that actually we can't know. And so you technically are not an atheist, if that's the position that you would normally claim. But at best, all you can say is you are an agnostic, which means you don't know. Gnostic means is, a, is Greek knowledge and the absence of knowledge. It means that you don't know if there is a God. So actually, all of us owe it to ourselves to consider the evidence the evidence of God's existence. And you might say to yourself, well, what existence, what evidence is there? If God is real, why doesn't he show himself? And yet, again, in so many other ways in life, we are familiar with the experience of not seeing things 
and yet knowing they are there. We cannot see the air, but we see its effects upon the trees. You cannot see your internal organs without an x-ray, but you know that they're there and they're functioning, even if you've never had an x-ray. And so the reality is that there are evidences, and the greatest evidence for God's existence is you. The Bible says that you were made in God's image. Made by God for God. And as a result, your life has meaning, it has purpose, and it has value. Because your life was intentionally given. Your life isn't the result of an accident, just some cosmic explosion which occurred how? We don't know. How do you know that God wasn't the catalyst for the first cause of the universe? And so the fact that we are here and we are complex individuals, we are, we are people that exist with detailed design. You know, the human eye has 40 million nerve endings. It is still one area where they've been unable to perform a transplant because it is so complex. Now, one day they may do, but what I'm saying is that the complexity of the human body, the complexity of your body clearly suggests that that level of detail and intentionality must come from an intelligent being. None of us would say that these flats occurred by accident as a result of an explosion. Barrett's just rolled in one day, set up some charges, some dynamite, let off a big explosion, and all of a sudden these flats occurred here. These dwellings with sinks and baths and stairs. Don't make sense. And so God is real. God made your life. And there is a day when we will give an account. Now, some people might say, well, you know what? I'm a good person. And I think that on that day, I'll be able to kind of just say, well, look, you know what, God? My good has outweighed my bad. And therefore, there you go. Surely that is, you're happy with that. But the Bible tells us that God is perfect. And that everyone has fallen short of his standard of perfection. There isn't anything that impresses God but himself. And unless we've lived a life that is just like his, then he's not going to be impressed enough to offer us an eternal past, eternal paradise. And you might say, well then, hold on a second. Are you trying to say that I'm not good enough? Surely all of the good things, I'm not as bad as some of these criminals. And this is where we're helped to understand the meaning of propitiation. You see, when God looks at us, he considers us against the standard of his Ten Commandments. Don't lie, don't steal, don't cheat in relationships, don't be greedy, don't take God's name in vain. Don't um, remember the, the Sabbath day to keep it holy. All of these are God's commandments. And in this... God has made it clear that this is the standard that reflects him. And my question is, who's never told a lie? 
Who's never stolen something and take, you've never downloaded a, a video, a film, you've never taken a song, you've never taken something from school or work. The reality is that we've all done it and however small the item is, however seemingly trivial, once we've broken God's law, the Bible says we've broken them all. Now, that might sound very gloomy, but here's the wonderful thing. When God gave the commandments, he knew that nobody would be able to keep them. They were not a target, but they were a reference. You see, we can try as best as we can, but we're always going to come short. This morning, I told the guys that I was going to be here at 7.30. And I was in fully intended to set my alarm. And normally, I wake up to my alarm. And my alarm went off, and I woke up. And despite the fact that I had set my alarm and I'd got up and I got myself together, I wasn't true to my word because I ended up getting here after 7.30. I tried my hardest, but I wasn't true to my word. And so the reality is that however hard we try, we cannot keep all of God's commandments. But what God done was he sent Jesus Christ, his son, to become a man and to live a perfect life as a human. So that anyone who puts their trust in him would be credited with his goodness. If we trust that actually it is true what is written about Jesus. That he was born by immaculate conception. Meaning that he was born without sin. Not that Mary was without sin. The Bible says that all have sinned and come short of God's standard of glory. But Jesus was born without sin and he lived a sinless life, completely flawless. In fact, when he stood in front of the Roman governors of his day, they looked at him and they said, we can't find anything wrong with man, this man. Why do you want us to kill him? Why do you want us to execute him by means of capital punishment? And yet... Having lived a sinless life, he died a criminal's death. Why? Why did he die that criminal's death? He died that criminal's death in order that we might receive the benefit of his sinless life. Now, that might be a bit confusing. And let me put it like this. There was a, um, a wedding, uh, was it last week? The royal wedding. Last week, it feels like a long time now. Was it last week? It was last week, wasn't it? And um, Meghan Markle married Prince Harry. And it was a grand occasion. I almost felt a bit jealous as I saw the rain last night. I said, Lord, you gave those guys such a great day. What about us? And he's been good. But Meghan Markle was known as an actress and, an actress and most well known for her role in a program called Suits. Anybody familiar with Suits? And um, if you're not, I'm going to just give you a spoiler. But it's not really a spoiler because it's the foundation of the whole series. So there's, there's one character in Suits and he's a legal associate. But um, he kind of got there by a very twisted journey. So he has a photographic memory. And what he used to do was he used to get paid by people who wanted to pass 
the, 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 the bar exam, that the exam that allows them to be practicing lawyers. And so what he would do with his photographic memory would revise the exam, they would pay him, he would go into the exam and he would sit down and he would pretend to be them and then he would pass the test, ace the test, or sometimes he wouldn't ace it because he wanted to make it realistic. And so we kind of measured his performance according to who was paying him so that it didn't attract too much suspicion. But he, he sat the test on their behalf and there were a couple of close shaves when he almost got found out, but he escaped detection. But every time he took the test on behalf of someone else, they were credited as having passed the test because he assumed their identity. And having assumed their, their identity, his exam result wasn't counted for him, but for them. That is very much like what Jesus done on our behalf. Before God the Father, Jesus lived the perfect life and he, he passed the exam of life right to the very end so that we could be credited with his flawless score. But that's not where propitiation really finds it, the fullness of its meaning. You see, propitiation relates to the fact that actually, even though we can be credited with Jesus' flawless score, something had to be done about the offense that we have caused to God. We have offended God by taking this life that he's given us and not living it in a way that pleases him and meets his standard. And something has to be done about that. Now, Mike, the character in Suits, even though he had passed this exam for everyone else, he wasn't able to pass it for himself. Because in his history, he had done something wrong which meant that he wasn't able to sit the bar exam for himself, if I remember rightly. He hadn't done it. He hadn't gone to uni. Thank you very much. A true Suits fan out here. Mike had never gone to uni, so he wasn't entitled to sit the exam. So there was an offense there. How do we get our conscience clean? We can get Silip Bang and... Um, vanish and get stains out of clothes. But how do we get our conscience clean? How do, how do we erase those things that we've done that we really regret? How do we erase those offenses that we've committed against God? Well, the good news and the bad news. Which do you want first? The good news or the bad news? Always want the bad news first, isn't it, Right? I mean, at least you want some consolation at the end. I'm like that as well. The bad news is that we can't. And some of us have tried very hard. But it's, the reality is we can't get those stains off our conscience. The good news is that God can and he has done. So even though we've offended God, and the Bible says that not only have we, have we offended God with our sin, the breaking of his law, but it is such that it, it has caused God to be angry. God is angry about sin. Now, please understand that God is eternal and infinite. 
And so God is able to be angry and loving at the same time. And as parents, I think that we can relate to that. Sometimes, especially if you've got older children, they may do something that really causes you to be upset and annoyed. But that's not because you don't love them. And so God's anger doesn't conflict with his love. But because God is loving, it doesn't mean that he, can, he, he doesn't get angry. And this is where propitiation really finds its clarity in, in definition. You see, I want you to imagine that in this age of internet shopping, you were trying to buy a, a, a birthday present for your mum. And there was this really rare and quite expensive crystal vase that she really loved. And so you found it online and you ordered it and the order was taking a while to come and you were concerned. And even though it was promised for next day delivery, a week later, the order hasn't come. How would you feel? I mean, you've given them the money and you've put in the order and you now have an expectation that they will fulfill that. I want you to imagine how you would feel if not only had it not come a week later, but two weeks later, after your mum's birthday had passed, it still hadn't come. You wanted to be able to unveil it on her birthday, you know, have her open the wrapper and feel really, you know, encouraged by it and encouraged of your love for her. Not only did it come two weeks later, but when it came, it was broken. I mean, by that point, you would be pretty disgusted, I'm sure. Now, if the supplier was to offer you a discount voucher and say, well, look, you know what, we're kind of sorry about what happened, but here's a discount on your next purchase. Would you be satisfied with that? Anyone? No. You wouldn't be satisfied with that. You'd still be very angry at the fact that you have been failed and let down. They might say, okay, we're going to send you another item, um, a replacement, and we will courier it to you. And you might feel a little consoled by that. And that might temper your anger. But would it cause you to be favorable to that supplier? Would you actually want to use that supplier again or recommend that supplier to other people? No, you wouldn't. I wouldn't. And in that situation, what you would require is a propitiation. You would need something that would not only turn away your anger, but would also cause you to be favorable again to that supplier. So maybe if that supplier said, look, you know what? We're not only going to give you one item, we're going to give you two items. Um, and we're going to have um, George Clooney come and deliver it to your mum personally. Now, I know a few people might, you know, some of you ladies would be like, actually, you know what? It's my birthday. And they were for me. Let him come and deliver it to me. Yeah? They reckon that George Clooney, George and Amal Clooney were the best dressed couple. Well, at least Amal was the best dressed lady at the royal wedding. Very popular individuals, yeah? Now, in that situation, you might feel that the supplier has gone to such an extent to make up for their wrong 
that not only are you able to not feel angry towards them anymore, but you would actually even consider recommending them and being favorable to, about what had happened and favorable to them. This is what propitiation means. When the Bible says that Jesus is a propitiation for our sins, even though our sins have caused God anger, and even though our sins have put us in, in under God's judgment and caused us to be restricted and, and prevented from receiving God's full favor, Jesus came and not only did he satisfy God's law and cause God's anger to be turned away from us, but furthermore, he caused God to be favorable toward us. God wasn't just grudgingly letting us off. Okay then, it doesn't matter. On you go with your life. I won't judge you. But no, actually, God's anger is turned away why? Because his anger was turned toward Christ. The Bible tells us that when Christ was crucified, he took upon himself the sins of all who would believe. And he received the anger of God in, in Isaiah chapter 53. And you can look it up on, online and you'll see in that verse that it says that the that the, the anger or the wrath of God was placed on Christ. And in doing so, God's, God didn't sweep the issue of our sin under the carpet. But what he done was he justly vented his anger on Jesus as the person, the divine son, who assumed your identity and my identity like Mike's in suits. And having received the anger of God and God being pleased with his sacrifice on your behalf and on my behalf, God then raised him from the dead after three days to demonstrate his favor to all who would believe in Jesus Christ. And so this is what Jesus done for you. And in order for it to have meaning and make a difference in your life, and I'm going to ask the um, praise team to get ready to join me back as I finish with this. In order for this to make a difference, in order for what Jesus has done, for it to make a difference in your life, the Bible says you have to do basically ABC, and I'm paraphrasing the truths of the scripture in this way. First of all, you have to A, admit that you're guilty of God's judgment. Admit that you're deserving God's judgment. All have sinned, and it's easy for us to recognize that. Having done A, you need to believe. That's B, believe in Jesus. Now, when the Bible uses the word believe, it, it doesn't mean just to kind of have a mental recognition. Oh, yeah, I know that there was this guy, Jesus, who um, actually lived uh, a, a number of years ago, and, you know, he done good things. Yeah, that's great. That's not what the, the Bible, when it says believe, it means to trust. Like you would trust someone with your life. Like you would trust the, the foot brake in your car when you're driving at 70 miles an hour. You're driving at 70 miles an hour. You're not rationalizing, oh yeah, I know that there's a brake and that it works. And yeah, I know that's true. But refusing to actually commit to trusting that 
No. So trust Jesus like a person falling from a flaming aeroplane would trust in the parachute that they put on. And you could trust Jesus with complete confidence. Why? Because God raised him from the dead, demonstrating that he was pleased with the life that he lived and the sacrifice that he made on your behalf and on my behalf. And because God is pleased with what he has done, God will accept you if you come in his name. And so that's B, believe. And then the final thing is C. C, confess. In Romans 10, verse 9, it says, If you believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord and confess with your mouth that God raised him from the dead unto eternal life, you shall have eternal life. You shall be saved. Jesus himself said, if you confess me before men, I will confess you before my father in heaven. And he's speaking of that day of judgment, that ultimate day of reckoning, when we will have to give an account for our lives and we need a lawyer in God's divine court of justice. And we're unable to represent ourselves and we're looking for someone to represent us before the great judge. And Jesus said, if you confess me before men in this life, just like we're doing out here today, then... I will confess you on that day before my Father in heaven. And so there is a need to identify ourselves with him in this life in order that we might be, he might identify himself with us in eternal life. And so this is the response that the Bible calls for. And if you'd like to know more about that, we've got an info table over at the side um, where you can get some literature and find out more. We invite you to join us on a Sunday morning at 11 a.m. where we take time to, to honor Jesus and give him praise because of the great thing that he has done for those who believe in him. And when we come together on a Sunday, we look at the Bible and we look at stuff like propitiation, this is actually taken from a series that we're doing at the moment where we're looking at the small print of the Bible. You might say it's all in small print. I wear glasses. But how do we understand some of these words and what they mean to us? Jesus was given as the propitiation for your sin. Propitiation meaning he turned away God's anger and provided God's favor and blessing. And so the challenge I leave with you today is to follow through on the ABC of eternal life. I'm going to pray and invite the guys to come and sing. Father God, we thank you for the fact that you've given Jesus as a propitiation, a satisfactory sacrifice that fulfilled justice, turned away your anger, and turned toward us your favor. We thank you, Lord God. And we pray that 
every single person within the sound of my voice would be able to have a, a revelation of who you are and have an understanding of who Jesus is and what he has done for us and that we would be drawn closer to you through him. And so we pray for this community here at Cornmill Gardens and pray that, Lord, through Jesus, you would bless this community. In your name, amen. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.